I run every morning. Before I run, flip this switch on my rotating fan. Every morning, it goes off, spinning and whirling and doing its own little part to in some way alleviate the stress, the sweat, the heat, the misery that is running. When I finish, I stretch out, miserable and tired, joints aching from the run. I flick the switch to turn off the fan, and at the end, as it's winding down before it goes into complete silence, almost inaudible, but clear enough for me, I hear the fan cry, help. It's a good day for this Irishman. His country just passed marriage equality, selling his snows at the Catholic Church. The hardcover satanic Bible and satanic rituals just arrived in the mail. I would now like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Today is August 23rd, and we have a fantastic show for you this week. I say we because a den or den is in the house. How are you, man? I'm just waking up. I'm still in bed, having coffee. <laughs> I love it's, my job. <laughs> it's militant eroticism in bed. No, no, that comes at around midnight right now. It's... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's sleep in the eyes. Heart's starting to pump a little faster with the coffee. Morning boner still there. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm re- I'm talking to you with a massive heart on. <laughs> well, as massive as I can have it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative. Uh, let's talk about the show really quick. Um, and this is all predicated on assumptions. <laughs> let me let me start with that. This uh, There's a lot of stuff going on this weekend, and so I'm not 100% that all of these segments are going to be made, but we'll find out. We'll see what we can do here. Uh, we're going to start with um, Milton Eroticism. We're going to do a little something different with Heather Height, I hope. And then we're going to move on to Satanism today. Now, this is going to be a long one, but uh, we got to touch on it. Uh, after that, a little Old Nick's Peep Show, and we're going to close the show out there. Um, we're going to have some cutting room floor content for those of you who haven't checked us on social media. So if you just get this podcast via some uh, RSS feed podcast app, uh, check YouTube because there'll be some extra content there for you. Um, okay, so again, it's August 23rd. This weekend can't get busier for me. So last week, my school just started. So my kids are off to school now. Finally, I don't have to pay for the stinking. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Daycare is insanely expensive. So my daughter doesn't have to go there anymore, which is great. And now she can just go to school, which is not so great. Here's what I don't understand. When I was, I walk my daughter to school every single morning. Rain, snow, shine, doesn't matter. 
We always walk because it, I mean, one, it, it just gives us a little father daughter time, which I think is really important, but also we can just sort of chat a little bit and I can get, you know, you get a little insight to where our head is at for the day or, you know, what's going on with her. So, uh, we walked to school last year, she was in kindergarten and I would literally just walk up to this sort of gated school kindergarten space, uh, give her a hug and a kiss and she'd be off on her way for first grade. We walk up and it's like every single parent is out there with their kid, like just standing. They're not talking. They're not engaging. They're, they're just standing there. I'm making an assumption, but it must be to prevent them from being kidnapped or something. There's no other reason for parents to be there. So the first day I was like, do you want me to wait with you here? And she was like, no, just <laughs> no why why would i Fuck need off, you to that <laughs> yeah like stop it you, you you're tainting my, my uh, style here old man uh the <laughs> second day i guess she just got the sense that parents were supposed to be there so she was like can you stay i was like i i guess i can i mean why she's like i, I don't know all the other parents are here and so now i'm starting to think it is every other parent guilted because one parent one day started this trend of staying with their kid until the bell rang? What Whatever happened to kids playing before school? I don't understand the standing in a line with your parent right next to you. All the parents are awkwardly turning around looking at each other. Tons of judgment is going on at this moment. Like, it is, it is an obscene amount of sexual, uh, economic... Uh, socio-political judgments being made. Uh, lots of other languages are being spewed that I have no idea about. Like, the entire thing is just this really weird experience. I don't even know why I started telling this part of it. But anyway, it's really strange. Kids are in school. The, uh, the, so, what's that? Uh, the only judgment that's going through any parent's head at that moment is, well, guess no one's a virgin here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bad joke. All right. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 wah, I wah. My parents just dropped me off and pushed me out. Yeah, like, that's... All right, kid. Bye. It's I weird. Would, I don't get it. All the kids would, like, click up, and uh, the school's doors were locked until maybe 10 minutes before the bell rang. Mm -hmm. So we would have to wait. And we, I, I would just... That's how I made friends. I'd find the... Uh, you know, we'd all... Just stand there and BS, and that went on until, my God, till college. And college was the only time I didn't make any friends at school. <laughs> then my parents weren't shoving me out the door <laughs> while the Get car out. was moving. Bye, honey. <laughs> <laughs> nice tuck and roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They couldn't wait to get rid of my ass. <laughs> yeah, nice. nice. So uh, just before my son went into school, he spent a week up with his grandparents uh, in Wyoming. And this is, I mean, they own their own ranch. That's where we get our, our beef from. They raise cows and then they send them to slaughter and we get super awesome organic nice. fed beef without a bunch of chemicals in it, which is really fucking cool. But... Um, when he goes up there, it's like the, you know, it's Wyoming. It's like the Wild West. So he's up there uh, firing rifles and handguns. He's not, <laughs> nowhere near his permit age for driving, but he's up there driving. They're taking video of all of this and sending it back to me. So I'm his father. These are moments that I'm supposed to be having with him. Not 
fucking in-laws, me. These are my moments that they are stealing from me. So I'm immediately like incredibly jealous and a little fucking angry. And my wife gets uh, both ears full of it uh, from me, just venting like they're stealing my fucking moments. These are my first moments that they're taking. Goddamn Hicks. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, immediately I'm just like, hey, you know what? I have to, uh, I have to take you driving now and we have to go to a gun range. I was in the military for five years. I have a few tricks that I might be able to pass on to you to aid in your rifle, uh, play, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Obvious that I know what I'm doing. You can miss him there. <laughs> you, how to play with your rifle. you know what that's a line from too many gay movies nice nice um so that was today finally you know a week later we finally get around to it and it was it was awesome i mean going in there to this firing range and just uh laying down some wisdom on my boy <laughs> And more importantly, showing him up <laughs> like I'm better at this than you. I, I haven't fired a rifle in uh, th literally 13 years uh, since my exiting of the military. So uh, I still got it. <laughs> Suck it. Yeah, okay. I, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Great father son connection, you know, and here's the thing. Like we I don't know why. But we act like we are always 100% busy all of the time. And yet we still find time to watch our favorite shows and to, you know, read our favorite book. You know, all this other stuff that we find time for. But whenever it comes to our kids, traditionally it seems uh, we're always a little bit too busy to be able to really spend any time with them. Uh, the reality is, is when you actually do get to spend time with them, you realize how how much of an individual they truly are. You get to hear experiences. Like we had a really good back and forth about first day of school and about fights and girls in school and stuff like that. And without setting aside time for that, they would never be able to hear that side. You would never be able to hear what they have to say. And, you know, you sort of grow up. One of my greatest fears as a father is my son to you know, get into high school and then just sort of drift away. And then I never really have any bonding or connection with him anymore. He just moves on very similar to what I did with my parents. Um, and difference being my parents pushed me away. I am trying to pull him in. Like I, I want him, I want to be involved. I want to be a part of his life. And so this is with this constant fear of not being able to have enough time, um, Finally, we, we get to have time. So, you know, if, if you have kids, get out there and stop watching your stupid fucking TV shows and actually spend some time with them. It's, it's actually really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Plus, go to a firing range. It's incredibly fun. A little bit of competition, a little bit of fun. You know, it's, it's good stuff. All right. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I do. Gun ranges are a blast. So. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? You have a preference? Are you a, a rifle or a pistol man? Or does it matter? Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, can I tell you a funny story? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was in scouts all my life, right? I yeah. loved Boy Scouts. My parents threw me in like 30 different sports. The only one I was good at was hockey. Uh, and probably because I have relatives in Canada. <laughs> it's like a blood <laughs> and, thing. <laughs> Genetically. Right? I'm Lebanese and Swedish. You know, I, I, I'm hairy, I'm temperamental, and I'm good at hockey. <laughs> so, um, 
So, but I hated everything. So finally they stuck me in scouts. I'm like, ooh, camping, woods, I get to be alone, books. Hello, yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, please. They, they give me a double barrel shotgun at the age Whoa. of 12. Whoa. Oh, I had so much fun. I had the welt the size of fucking England <laughs> on my shoulder. <laughs> They're like, imagine, imagine this scrawny, platinum blonde, blue eyed, little high pitched kid. All right. And they hand him this big double barrel shotgun. Like, okay, you're going to aim it up there because I was shooting at the discs. And this thing's like just as big as I am, right? Yeah. Like, you want to put it firmly against your shoulder. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm like acting it out right now. In in my office, I'm acting this shit out. So, like, okay, now if you don't hold it against your shoulder, you're going to get a bruise. I'm like, don't worry, I got it. I shoot it. I went flying back. (laughs) And my mother, because my dad worked all the time. I never had a relationship with my father until my teenagers. And it was me and him are both very stubborn, pig-headed men. Mm -hmm. So we were always at each other's throats. Always. Until I grew up, me and my dad were always yelling at each other. Um, And, uh. So my mother was always the one who came with me and my little brother to scouts. And uh, she was like, dedicated to being super mom. But even then, like, I just kind of went my, did my own thing. It was my brother who kind of clung to her. So uh, she comes running up. She's like, what the fuck did you just do to my son? I'm like, it's okay. I'm like lying on the ground. I'm like, it's all right. <laughs> And the guy is like, I told you to hold it against your shoulder, but I was like, he's 12. Air weighs more than him. (laughs) Oh, man. I swear I was holding against my shoulder, though, but I'm like this scrawny little 12 year old. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah, double barrel shotgun. Of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I I miss that, that that part of it though you know you have these supposedly um responsible adults taking you out to the middle of the woods somewhere and they're like 12 year old yeah you can handle this here's a 12 gauge <laughs> just do your thing you're like uh fucking hey okay let's do this <laughs> they just let you fall that would never happen nowadays i oh, swear God. just in the short period of time of of you growing up from then till now our culture has changed dramatically well, I'm, I'm, you know, Midwest, and, well, you are too, so I think things like that still happen out there. My uh, cousin, in quotes, like the daughter of my mom's best friend, mm-hmm. um, learned to drive, like your son is, um, in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Mm-hmm. We would go up there, and that was my mother would, like, I'm sorry, my aunt, in quotes, you know, she uh, would let her kids drink wine coolers, but only up there and only one bottle. <laughs> and she would nice. let them drive around never at night though because even driving at night up there it's it's terrifying you never know what's going to run out into the road or what hick is going to be posting a sign that says you cross the sign i will shoot you Damn. it's fun up there it's it, seriously the the upper peninsula is its own little world it's nuts <laughs> it's like the it's like the michigan's own little wild west um oh, yeah it's fun though it's gorgeous up there um but anyway, so that's where my mother would never let me drive around the car up there. But my, my cousin, yeah, she would drink. You know, you could stay out all night. You could go swim in the middle of the night. That's the only place you could play with boys until 2 a.m. It was It's a fucking free-for-all. And, um, you know, we'd take the boat out. But as soon as we got back to the city, it was like, no, my God, the car, are you crazy? 
I don't give my kids liquor. <laughs> only in the Upper Peninsula and only in the off season. Yeah, oh, that's great. But oh man, it, it's it's great that you make time for your kids. It's like I tell some of my friends who are busy. How do you have time to do these things? I can create time. Everybody has the same amount of time in a day. Yeah. Everybody. So I I don't like to hear that shit. Oh, I'm too busy to do. Excuse me, something that I'm claiming is important. Well, if it's fucking important, make time. You can create time. It's I, I sleep like three different times of the day. I still have time to do everything. Well, I mean, they're in three or four hour shifts, just because yeah. I don't like sleeping longer than that unless I, I'm drinking. But, um, Whoa. so, you know, I'll take a three, four hour nap, get up, do shit, lay down again, get up, do shit. Dang. But, um, it's a, uh, no, that's great. You walk your daughter to school and you get to know them as individuals. My, I, I don't think my parents really wanted to see me as an individual, especially as a teenager, <laughs> all the shit I got into. Yeah. Yeah, no, they read my journal once, and that was more than enough. Yeah. Um, but now they're like, now they want to know me as, you know, my mother sent me a card when I told her I got ex- my a- active application was approved. She sent me a card and all this shit. She, and she wants photos of the Conclave poster. She, um, That's you know, awesome. She Right? She's so weird. My dad my dad sees uh, the certificate I got in the mail, and he just stared at it. According to my mother, he just looked at it and goes, great. Uh, Another reason for me not to like that kid. <laughs> no, he, he. my dad's still in the phase of, not even the phase, he's like, just tell me enough to where I can give you a hug and say congratulations. That's all I need to know. Nice. Yeah, I would never tell my parents anything we we have a strict adam does not open up to them policy because <laughs> <laughs> they cannot handle they cannot handle shit uh, even though like what is there to handle you know like the reality of it is like oh well that what it just means something to you that's that's really it i didn't like grow wings or horns or tail or anything it's just nah, never they would never want to hear it's, it's a trip um mm-hmm. All right, so let me let me make a quick show note here, really quick. By the time you're hearing this, uh, the Get to Know Warlock Ma Mandrake episode live on YouTube has already happened and has probably already been taken down. I'm editing these and releasing them for a limited amount of time after they've uh, been seen live. Point of that is, hopefully, to get you guys' ass to watch the live show. It's it's. You don't get to see our faces very often, and some of these contributors, you never get to see their face and see their mannerisms and how they look and react to commentary and questions, and it's it's a, an extra layer that is, uh, a lot of people have complained is missing from Nine Cents, but there's good cause for it. So, you know, when these come up, tune in when you can, uh, or, you know, if you can't for some reason, catch them and watch them when they're available because everything that's been done in the past is no longer available. I just released the Witch Zaftig episode. I'm going to leave it out for maybe another week and a half, but then it's going in the vault too. Someday down the line, we may re-release them, uh, but you know what? This is really a benefit for those who are paying attention, not for the archives. Um, So keep that in mind. Um, You know, with that said, should we uh, move on here? Sir, I believe I've found something. What is it? 
Not sure, sir. All right. Bring it up on the monitor. Computer, analyze. Initializing anal. Analyzation. I mean, initializing analyzation. Those are two completely different things. in people. Tell them the good things. Do this all time. Well, that looks easy enough. Welcome to another episode of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. I want to talk about etiquette, specifically social media etiquette. I looked around to see like what kind of stuff was on. I even found Emily Post etiquette website. Pretty excited about that. 
her family like still talks about etiquette. You can ask her daughter. I think her daughter and son have like a podcast talk about etiquette. But specifically, social networking etiquette. Most articles that I've found pretty much are just lists of pet peeves and things like you know people who post too many pictures of their cats or their food or their kids and you know we're all kind of guilty about. So since I couldn't find anything except for lists of pet peeves, which I'm awesome at making myself because I, you know, have plenty of pet peeves, I decided to cover things that I thought were really specifically etiquette geared and not just something that bugs me. So I'm going to do them as I think about them. And today I'm just going to cover one. So first, the definition of etiquette is the conduct or procedure required by good breeding or prescribed by authority to be observed in social or official life. Well, fuck that. It's just, you know, pretty much be nice. And a lot of times there's a lot of, I talked about this with Dave and among Satanists, we're kind of assholes just because we can be, which is fun on occasion. I wouldn't begrudge anybody there. If there's consequences for you being an asshole, you have to be prepared to take those. And most of us don't really care about the consequences or we might even enjoy getting somebody upset or whatever. Anyway, this week I'm going to talk about specifically the act of leaving a link as a comment. When somebody posts something that uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Snopes because it's the most used one that I've seen. That somebody posts something that's not true and it's been debunked by Snopes and then somebody will just leave the Snopes link and not say anything. I think this is kind of rude. It's worse even than the actually guy. Actually, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's annoying. But leaving a link as a comment is like the dropping the mic of social networking. And I say this because people, when this has happened to me, they'll leave the comment and then refuse to have further conversation of it. Just walk away there's like no room for debate after this and then sometimes it's not always like a snopes thing but sometimes it's just an article that's contradictory to the one that you were talking about or the subject matter that you were speaking on and then it's fine to have a debate it's fine to disagree with each other and you don't have to be an asshole about it sometimes like i said it's fun to be an asshole i for one am guilty of really enjoying being an asshole but I also enjoy having a good debate. There's some people that I, you know, I'm not going to name anybody, but there's some people who I just see so-and-so commented on your thing, and I'm like, ooh, I'm excited because this person's going to have, you know, probably a contradictory opinion, but they're really going to talk about it. And there's some people that I really get excited to have these debates and disagreements with. You know, there's some people that I like to have, you know, a few hours of patting each other on the back through comments too. That's also fun. The important thing about leaving a link as a comment is that you should think about your presentation. Like just leaving the link there and walking away and then not responding to any further comments is like if we were in in a physical space with each other and I'm having a conversation about something and then You just walk over and hand me a newspaper article and then turn your back and stare at the wall and refuse to respond for like five, ten minutes. 
and then when the subject changes, turn around and start talking again like nothing happened. That's weird. That would be really weird, if, and that's exactly what's happening. There's people that will leave the link and refuse to comment and then be commenting on something else that we're talking about. And we can have these simultaneous conversations in the interweb space now. It makes it kind of weird. Think about your presentation. You could just say, hey, I noticed what you were saying, what you were saying or what you were talking about. And I recalled seeing this article and I just thought that it might be informative for you. Here it is. You know, what, what's the big deal? Why is that so hard? That's my, my etiquette for, for this week. Do not just leave a link as a comment. Leave a little bit of an exp- explanation and be ready to have a conversation about it. There's no reason for us to be autistic, even though none of us have to look each other in the eye anymore. This has been another episode of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and my email at Yahoo is all Heather Height. Look for our new short film, Dan. It's a, it was a lot of fun to make. Dave directed and filmed it and myself and my friend Dan are stars in it. I guess we're stars, we're acting in it. So look for that. It has its own uh, Facebook page and we're pretty proud of it. Just a short little thing doesn't take much of a commitment for you to check it out i guess that's it for this week have a great week hail satan Welcome to Militant Eroticism, episode 27, On Behavior Redirection, part one, because I like everything to be as long 
and dense as possible. And lines like that is exactly why you know who I am. I am a Denardin. <laughs> In the United States, there are 700,000 reported rapes per year, taking into account that 61% of rapes go unreported. One can understand why the desire to rape is a widely researched subject and not just inside my porn file. What is also worrisome is that the United States rape statistics are 13 times higher than that of England, four times higher than Germany, 29 times higher than Japan. The major theories or ideas on why the rape and sexual assault numbers are so high is that America has the most available pornography, the most violent pornography. It's a very male-oriented society and variations of those general statements. These statements are odd since German pornography has a reputation for being very sadomasochistic and shit-oriented. And I mean that not not I mean that literally poop. Yeah, exactly right. Japanese pornography is the most prevalent in the snuff genre and is the most available on rape play porn websites. I cannot tell you how often me and one of my friends trade porn that's just terrible things. And he likes to send me Japanese porn that, you know, there's this one where an old man has a remote control and then goes to the girl's locker room in a gym and starts fucking frozen girls against their will. Yeah, because he stopped time, and he's, you know, it's hilarious. But anyway, in Michael Goldstein and Harold Kant's book, Pornography and Sexual Deviance, a report of the Legal and Behavioral Institute, it is found that among convicted rapists, that rapists were more likely to be punished for viewing porn as a youngster, watch less pornography than non-rapists, the porn was less violent than non-rapists, and that they were more likely to have grown up in a repressive and highly religious home. It's a very surprising study since the claims of radical feminists, for example, who are quite vocal and active in lobbying against pornography, are exactly opposite of Kant and Goldstein's finding. Goldstein, how may get? <laughs> the other side of the argument that, that porn is detrimental to women's rights and incites violence against women isn't without its own research. According to Dr. Bogle, <laughs> Dr. Bogle, of the University of Delaware and Dr. Bergen of St. Joseph's University, there is a positive correlation. Bergen. <laughs> oh God! There is a positive correlation between sexual violence experienced by women and the rapist uh, pornography consumption, meaning that the rapist reenacted and had the women reenact what they viewed in their favorite films. If violent pornography or porn in general is responsible for misogyny and sexual violence, then why is it that according to the National FBI Department of Justice statistics, uh, the reported rapes dropped from 1975 to 1995, and in particular in the age categories of 20 to 24 and 25 to 34? Or I could have just said 20 to 34. (laughs) (laughs) These ages being the most common ages of active rapists. It is interesting to note that pornography became more readily available in this time period. Uh, Also, with the advent of the Internet, pornography accessibility skyrocketed and is used mostly by the ages previously noted. In most of the sociological, psychological, and sexological research, the results are contradictory, but only in terms of the methodology. The The methods used in researching the desire to rape and its um, connection to porn is usually set in a laboratory and is only administered to convicted sex offenders. This creates a biased report while only showing a correlation, not a connection or a cause and effect pattern. That is only one aspect of my argument besides research supporting or opposing porn causes sex violence. We must 
also consider the research in treating sex offenders. Within this genre of research that porn and sexual violence may have a connection, there is also the research of uh, how to treat sexual criminals. Such a funny phrase, sexual criminals. <laughs> the most common treatments are chemical castration, antidepressants, anti-androgens, um, and psychotherapy. A new wave of treatment is being proposed now, which includes the idea of teaching sexual offenders to use mental controls in order to abstain from fantasizing. I should note here that the primary idea behind treating behavioral problems is deleting the behavior itself and not redirecting it. Another idea on treatment is controlling the secretion of testosterone and lowering the libido to a near non-existent level. Both studies' have, uh, results have a positive result, but for a short amount of time. In psychology and sociology, the origin of many behaviors is greatly debated, if not a complete fucking mystery. How can one fix a problem if they don't know where it comes from? Well, the question leads into a main issue in most behavioral-oriented sciences. sciences. Is it nature or is it nurture? Popular theory now is that it is both, which is part of the reason most therapeutic cycles uh, or treatments also include pharmaceutical therapy. Uh, these, uh, these therapies have a high success rate compared to previous ones, but a horrible success rate when applied to a timeline, meaning the behavior resurfaces in a more extreme manner. If we cannot delete a behavior as of yet and do not know where it comes from, why not simply redirect a behavior that is detrimental to an area where it isn't detrimental? There is a therapy with that exact goal called psychodrama, which went out of style in the late 70s. A psychodrama is a group activity where behavior is acted out with complete awareness of intention and takes great use of imagination in order to facilitate the idea that one has acted out has actually been accomplished. This is much like the placebo effect or a self-fulfilling prophecy. Research in this area uh, shows that psychodramas are quite successful in fulfilling a fantasy and redirecting the behavior. Uh, the downside is that, according to Peter F. Kellerman, with regard to personality, no significant differences are shown, meaning that there is absolutely no hope in making a rapist a non-rapist and a pedophile a non-pedophile. These are more so the latter than the former, a personality defect. They are that way. It's not going to change. You cannot fix these people. But it does temporarily stop them from committing the act itself. In popular culture, we could see a more literal type of psychodrama in the traps administered by Jigsaw of the Saw movies, or aggressive men becoming boxers or fans of the sport. A problem with psychodrama is that we'd have to count on the psychodrama being repeated whenever the fantasy presented itself again. But perhaps with the invention of the robot uh, Repli Q1 Expo, one could commit their fantasies and not have to perform a therapeutic ritual. Artifice has always been a staple of human progression and culture. Examples would be using sculpture, paintings, and carvings to tell a story or an allegory. I don't think it's all that far-fetched to use an old method in a new way. Until next time, my fellow eroticists, keep your skirts up, your pants down, no matter who bends over, play with yourself. <laughs> This is incredible. God damn, you, you inspired so much uh, thought. <clears throat> so traditionally, we are told as a society, rape is about power. It's not about sex. Well, it is. See, I mean, could, could you extrapolate a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. I love studying. I, I, <laughs> this is 
This is gonna be. I love studying rape. It's so good. I really do. My God. <laughs> I love studying my two. This is why I got interested in sex research to be a little bit more about my personal life. Hmm. Um, uh, rape has always fascinated me, and so has pedophilia. The latter, because there are. My, uh, my grandfather was uh, in jail for like over 20 years for raping his daughter, and he was he's a convicted in, uh, pedophile. And when I did a family tree type of thing, I noticed a lot of my family members were convicted pedophiles. And uh, And coming from an Arab culture, I was always fascinated the rules on rape in different cultures and how that relates to bonding and viewpoints of sex and ownership it's uh it's just it's fascinating to me some things that are done in western culture that we would consider normal dating are just hot and sexy or the types of things on rand described and how men should treat women sexually the wording that she used it's kind of rapey and uh don't know it's quite rapey you know he ravaged her he took her and though she wanted to say no she knew that she couldn't Ooh, yeah that is but rape is about dominance not about sex it's about controlling somebody but i would argue that if you read a lot of things about topping or being the person uh penetrating another in gay sex it's all it's always agreed that it isn't so much a it it's about dominance. And even when men describe fucking women, it's I can't wait to dominate. Or when women, even though being the one taking dick, it's kind of like, oh, no, I'm going to own that dick. That dick is mine. So these these little dotted lines about rape. I mean, pedophilia is very clear cut. Not in the law, though. In the yeah, lines, I mean, pedophilia is literally always underage rape. Like there's no – that's the definition, right? Uh, it depends on if you're speaking medically or legally. Legally, pedophilia is very weird. That's it actually a really good point. Yeah, yeah that, that would be up. another episode altogether. Oh, and we'll get there. Uh, it, yeah. it really it pisses me off when a 25 year old who sleeps with a 17 year old is convicted pedophile. No, that's not. Or an 18 year old with a 15 year old. Luckily, we have Romeo and Juliet laws. Like, my little brother turned 18 before his girlfriend did, and without that law in Michigan, he could have been convicted of pedophilia. I don't think that law is everywhere. It isn't everywhere. It is not. Luckily, New York... I've seen some cases. Yeah. New York State has a law quite similar to the Romeo and Juliet law, but it's called something different. In Michigan, it's called called the Romeo and Juliet law, where as long as you're within four years of each other, it's okay. So, like, a 21-year-old with a 17-year-old is fine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so rape is uh, rape is, uh, is about dominance, about power, and uh, it well, has wanna... little to do with sexual, uh, actual sexual pleasure. Really? See, I mean, that, you know, on its surface, it flies in the face of, of the fact that it's a sexual act, you know? Uh, you, you had mentioned something, that, and I've always been on board with this since my... Um, um, a college professor told me about it that, that there is literally no cure for pedophilia because it, it's sort of how you are genetic you, you, you just are a pet you can't be changed you can't fix it. I, I never thought of a rapist in those terms though 
like like dominating someone else against their will. Because I draw a distinction between, you know, there's a, a relationship back and forth that says, I want you to dominate me. And the other one's like, I want to dominate you. And so they, they fuck and it's great. It's not rape. It's when it's against the will of the other that it becomes rape. How, mm-hmm. I mean, is that, is that really as clear and cut a behavioral, like, gen, like, not, I don't, I don't want to say genetic, but just something that you cannot change about something? Like, someone is a rapist or they are not a rapist? I don't, I didn't, I've never seen it that cut and dry before. I'm, I'm simplifying it, but I've never seen one study, never, that says we have cured their rapist tendencies without castrating them. But even then, the people who are chemically castrated, they uh, tend to rape in different ways. You don't need your junk. Now, even there, I'm being a little bit funny about it, um, you know, because though they can't get a heart on, um, the reason why they do chemical castration is it's supposed to remove the libido. And it does for the most part. They, they're just they become fairly asexual, but fairly, not completely. Now, the thing is, with rape. So, like, the example you gave, you know, a woman submitting to the dominance would turn that man on, the submission to him. Now, the rapist, what they teach in rape preven- uh, prevention classes is to, how to, first of all, how not to get raped, how to defend yourself, how to, how to get away, things like that. Mm. But they also teach that at the end of the day, that uh, you have to face the fact that this person could overpower you and when that happens to just take it and there's reasons there's two reasons why because if it's going to happen then the the goal is to just survive to survive don't take a shower and get to the police give them as much evidence as you can Mm -hmm. um you know go through the very uncomfortable rape kit where they're going to swab every orifice you have and um, take photos of everything. It's really embarrassing, but it's necessary. And this, so one goal is to survive. Two, they've noticed that rapists lose their interest and their heart on with a dead fuck. They want the yeah. It's the struggle. The yeah. It's the struggle. Now, if it's consent, if it's consensual rape play, sure, the same idea is turning you on. But the same, uh, but the same thing. It's the submission, the willful submission versus the rapist is this person cannot resist me interesting they they're weak they're physically weak and i'm strong that's why a lot of these rapists have these terrible egos and are terribly insecure very low self-esteem that myth about uh well it's not always a myth but anyway that's that's a different topic (laughs) this this stuff it opens up so many uh, so many really complex ideas of social norms and uh, desire versus uh, accepted desires and fetishes and stuff it's really really fascinating Um, and I'm sure it's very difficult for some people because and and I can you know sort of back up for a second I imagine we have so few reported rape cases simply because of the embarrassing or the st- stigmas that some uh, families and, and uh, cultures attach to it. But but the embarrassing hoops you really genuinely have to jump through in order to legally 
uh, report a rape. You know what I mean? Well, it's e- Just as it's to e- what you were speaking to. Well, it's easy for women. I know this is going to be a very unpopular statement. Um, a woman, a woman. Now, sure, the, yes, the rape kit and the the court and having to confront your assailant. Of course, it's difficult and it must be horrible um, for the victim. But for women, the it's it's easier to file for rape. Now, men, on the other hand, the rape stats and the study of raped men that gets almost no attention. It's almost uh, no. It, it doesn't go anywhere, first of all, mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, well, you got heart. You must have wanted it. You mean like how the majority of rape victims orgasm, though they may have never with their boyfriend or husband? That's don't, so she must have wanted it, right? I mean, she came and her husband couldn't make her come. Yeah, she must have wanted it. So just because the man gets hard, I get hard in situations where I really don't want to. That doesn't mean I'm turned on. That just means <clears throat> men are hydras. They have two fucking no. We're we're men are what's that dog's name that guards the gates of hell? Uh, Cer- Cerebus. Cerebus. Yeah, yeah. That's what men are. Yeah, one head's doing its own fucking thing. So <laughs> that's that's where rape one head's listening, licking his balls, and the other one's screaming. Why? Exactly. Uh, but it's funny that it, you know when I say men get raped, I'm sure the first idea in their head is, oh, gay men must rape men. No, women, women, women rape men. <laughs> that's that's the fun <clears throat> part. I love to say that. Any man that is reported a rape, uh, the almost all the time, it is not by another man. It is by a woman, and that is more embarrassing. <laughs> a woman raped him. Uh, and that that's... Well, that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> there's so yeah, there's so much behind that. There's the the shame as our almost almost entirely human culture of what it means to be a man means you are dominant to a woman. So yeah. if you were be able to be overpowered by a woman sexually, that is you know, arguably one of the most l- weak things that can happen to you as a man. So why would you want to admit to that? It is a shame. So you have the shame of the rape and the shame of no longer being a man seen by collectively everyone that hears about it. So it's completely understandable just by the way, you know, the identity of what it means to be a man would be stripped from you uh, by admitting that. But there's also complexity of understanding it. You know, just as you were saying, it means instinctively most people think, well, it must have been raped by another man. I fucking fell into that trap as you were explaining it. Like, oh, well, this is one of the ways. But the reality is, is, you know, I've heard this not just from this discussion here, but also I'm an avid NPR listener. Oh, hate me. But uh, I've heard it in a lot of uh, programs on that as well. It's a reality that, though it's uncomfortable to admit, that we must accept because it's truth, and truth is undeniable. Uh, mm-hmm. Men are at times raped by women, and it doesn't get attention, to, you know, to to what you're speaking to. It's hard to be able to fathom, in the way that we see genders, 
in our society that we we that we understand our own physiologies but you know as you were saying you know sometimes you get hard when when you're not really thinking about it the whole cerebus um uh story there i i, I get hard sitting on a bus from simple vibration like it, it has nothing to you do with sexuality <laughs> if it means I get some love and then I'm no it, it, you know you can't help it sometimes it just happens your body reacts whether your mind wants to or not and that's why that, that whole saying that men are controlled by their dicks has significant meaning and why it exists because it's true we do not have control as much as we like to think we do over not only our environments and other people but ourselves it's crazy but it's true yeah, I, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm as soft as Play-Doh when I am actually really horny and turned Right, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh God, why don't you work? Can't we ever be on the same page? Ever? I blame whiskey. I don't, shit. I do this shit when I'm sober. No, but this, this, this episode, this part one, I think it's going to be four parts. Whoa! This, yeah. this is where this is why I study the things I do. I'm fascinated by rape behavior and pedophilia, and not just because of um, um, of what I know about my my ancestry or my uh, my grandfather, uh, but it's I it really pisses. I, I had this conversation at a friend's house too, where. Now I'm I'm kind of careful about where I say it, just because I, I usually get a, a a very aggressive response, and where it's, it costs me things like research opportunities at school. But I'll say it here anyway. I, I don't think I don't think this will cost me anything here, and if it does, then that's you know shame. But it's I really hate it when people say just shoot the pedophile. For one, you're robbing me of a research subject. And for two, <laughs> for two, this, this, the argument that the, it, they, they never study pedophilia from a, a genetic point of view. Hmm. Because this is what I hate about the born gay argument. As soon as you open that door, I'm born gay, therefore I can't help it, therefore I'm equal under the law opens the door to anybody else that has a genetic predisposition towards a behavior. It opens that door wide open and then you have to jump through a bunch of other legal hoops where, okay, the behavior, oh, well, no, that's different. The behavior hurts somebody. And I don't care what any faggot tells me, anal sex is not natural. That, that hole was built to be exit only. Hmm. It's you. You do do damage to a butt each you time you fuck it. <laughs> you each. It doesn't matter how much lube, how much you it's stretch true, yeah. it. You do damage to it, and but then you open the argument to what you do damage to a pussy. No, not really, and not in the same way. Um, one is genetically meant to propagate the species, and the other is not. Right. But then you could also say, well, you know, it's stepping out into the sun, you do damage to the skin, but then it turns into this whole slippery slope fallacy. <clears throat> but, then you're, 
Yeah, you, you're, you're fighting nonsense arguments. No, yeah. to your point, and this and this is why I'm I really respect the fact that you are brave enough to broach the subject, but also um, uh, careful enough to break it into multiple segments. Is that it? it there's a tension that has to be placed and, and, and delicate discussion that needs to be had about these very complex ideas. And to your point, and I've spoken to this on the past, pedophilia is it's a dangerous road to go down. There's legality issues. There's social accepted norm issues. There's cultural issues. There's historical issues that must be accepted. And... And you don't have to accept them as in agree with them, but you have to accept them as in they were facts at the time. And this goes to understanding human behavior, not from where we are today, but from the time that it was the norm. And so, you know, we define pedophilia. I don't, oh, this is such a complicated thing. I don't really want to go into it any, anymore. But just to say that it is a discussion that I think is absolutely necessary. It's challenging but every conversation that's worth having is and you may disagree and have emotional reactions to the discussion but that's natural and that's good and that means that you're growing through the discussion so i look forward to uh to your next on behavior redirection segment thank you so much adan that was truly fantastic well i do want to i do want to say this hmm. Uh, pedophilia, if you can't change it, then we have to address how to deal with it. And no one really, you never really read about this unless you're looking for it. Um, there are centers where pedophiles go to be voluntarily locked up before they do anything. And people just want to throw these people in prison when they're actually very valuable research subjects. And two, the thing about sexual norms and pedophilia in the law versus medicine, pedophilia medicine is very different than the law, as we had spoken. Howard Hughes had paid, they, these were employees, 15-year-old girls that were there to fuck. Now, in the 30s, that was perfectly acceptable. You can marry 15, 16-year-olds. That was okay, but nowadays you can't. These things change. If a woman wasn't married by the time she was 18, my God, you were considered a spinster. At 18, I mean, it's the, it's the sole reason why biologically they have their periods when they do. It means that they are at that moment ready to propagate the species. It, this is a – I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not saying that socially we should move in that direction because I don't – genuinely don't think we should. I'm just saying that this is a biological reality – that they are able to have babies at this point. Historically, you did not live very long, and so the age of sexual intercourse in order to continue your family line to exist is low because it's mm -hmm. hard to be a human without the technologies that we have today. So, that, and that's why I mentioned we and have to look at this in historical contexts. Yeah, and to just to wrap it up, because I don't want to blow my load for the next three parts of this <laughs> behavior redirection. So to uh, wrap yeah, it not up. Not in my ears, too. <laughs> uh, I'm not, this is not a moral conversation. Yeah. This isn't an ethical conversation. I'm talking about real. You can look, all, all this, anything I say, you can look up. Um, 
and and in scientific journals, not fucking editorial news. In journals, <laughs> you can look this up. <laughs> in reputable journals by reputable scientists, I am talking about things that actually happen. I'm not talking about shoulda, woulda, coulda. I'm not mm. saying pedophilia is okay. I'm not forgiving them because they can't help it. They're disgusting. It's monstrous. But it's something that must be addressed and it's a reality that must be dealt with. To say war is bad and to say that war happens are two very, very different statements. Mm. And then the discussion becomes, well, now what do we do? And that's what I'm talking about with behavior redirection. What do we do when we know someone is going to do something? We know they're going to do it. And you can't just shoot them until they've actually done it. I'm all in favor of shooting the pedophiles that committed something. But the ones who haven't, my God, study them. Keep them locked up, but study them. Well, I, I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, this, is, this is truly amazing. Um, how can those listening uh, reach out and uh, learn a little bit more about a Den Den online? Uh, do you want it, Tosh? Sorry, at a Gary Glitter moment. <laughs> Pedophilia with that statement, Gary Glitter. Anyway, because uh, he was a Daddy. pedophile. Anyway, <laughs> love my Gary. Uh, <laughs> not in that way. I just love uh, the music. Anyway, the uh, a militant eroticism dot com. You can email me through there or um, email me at a denardena at gmail dot com. It may take a little bit for me to get back to you. But that's that's the way to do it. Fantastic. And then I'm on Facebook, you know, Militant Eroticism on Nine Cents Podcast. And then for the book, Militant Eroticism. And then for me, A Den or a Den. There, three pages for Facebook, too. All over. <sighs> oh, All I'm over. <laughs> I'm, so slut- I'm so slutty about it. <laughs> I, I genuinely appreciate this stuff. And, and I, you know, it, everyone with an open mind and an open perspective can understand that you don't necessarily have to agree with something in order to find it fascinating or to learn from it. And and that's part of what it means to be a human being. And, and my interpretation of what it means to be a Satanist is, is, Satanist is, is constantly learning about things that can be, to be honest, complicated and challenging. And uh, I do not shy away from it. I'm very pleased that the audience doesn't either. And uh, I'm proud that you do what you do, man. Let's uh, let's do a little uh, Satanism today and uh, Old Nick's Peep Show and close this thing out. Awesome. Ever wonder why genies are trapped in bottles? Because they're a bunch of goddamn drunks. And like all drunks, they'll talk to anyone who will listen until somebody puts a cork back in the bottle. So, want a little drunken genie nonsense? Then grab a bottle of whiskey and rub one out. Or tune into Nine Cents the first week of every month and catch my segment, I Dream of Jesse. And welcome to Satanism Today here on the Nine Cents Podcast. I am Magister David Harris. The music you're hearing is a track called Wolves. 
by our very own warlock Nathan Gray. Nathan's been going very strong in the music industry for the last 20 plus years, of course with his band Boy Sets Fire, very prominent in the East Coast hardcore scene. Uh, now he is reinventing himself as a solo artist with a new sound and a, and a very, very uh, satanic message in his music. We'll be talking about his new album, or his new EP, I should say, which was released uh, just several days ago as I record this introduction. Uh, we'll also talk about Boy Sets Fire, as well as the East Coast hardcore scene and how the, uh, the hardcore you know, philosophy, how aspects of it do resonate with Satanism, while others certainly do not. And we'll talk about so much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview. Myself, Warlock Nathan Gray, here on Satanism Today on the Nine Cents Podcast. Welcome back to Satanism Today, here on the Nine Cents Podcast. I am uh, David Harris, being joined here today by my very good friend, Warlock, Nathan Gray. Nathan, how are Hello. you? Hello. I'm doing very well. Doing very well. It's a Saturday. Yes. It has, yes. And as we record this, um, you have just been informed that you have been elevated to the level of Warlock within the last 24 hours of this recording. This uh, is correct. So congratulations to you, sir. Thank you very much. It was it was a very exciting and shocking thing to find in my mailbox. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm still a little on in that uh, speechless zone of yeah. I'm sort of proving my point right now. <laughs> that that is that is we you know th- those of us who have been around a while always like to see that because when you're surprised. That's, you know, that that's how it should be. You should always be surprised by it. It's not something right. you should expect. It's not something you should, it's not even something you should aspire for. Right. It's, no, absolutely. If, if you're living the philosophy and you're, you're staying in touch with the organization, the organization will notice you. And, mm-hmm. and that is clearly what has happened. And that's, uh, that's the great thing about it is just knowing, I mean, I'm, I'm very aware that I'm an incredibly successful person. I've done a lot of things with my life. Um, but to have this sort of nod is, you know, from from an organization that I believe fully in. It's it's just cool. It's nice to have people who um, who go, hey, good job. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so. and, and one of the ways that at least I personally am have been aware of your success for a long time is that I knew who you were before I knew what the church, the church of Satan was. I, oh, right on. <laughs> I, I, I was aware of voice sets fire. Just, you know, just <laughs> having, having been around, you know, East coast hardcore for so long, I, I was fully aware of, of you and, and the music and was, a, and was a fan. And, right on. Uh, and when I heard, Oh, he's one of us. How badass right. is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so you have, man. You've had a, a, and a really, in in terms of the hardcore scene, a legendary twenty mm-hmm. plus year career. Yes. Um, in East Coast hardcore, Boy Sets Fire has put out some uh, amazing music. Thank um, you. And now your solo stuff is quite a departure. Yes. <laughs> from what you were doing with Boy <laughs> to Sets Fire, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you end up there? What? How did you evolve to that point? Uh, let's see. It's, it's sort of funny because for the past, uh, I'm going to give it 10 years, 
um, of the 20 years I've been doing this and in the hardcore scene and all that stuff, um, I've been wanting to do go solo. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it's fairly obvious why a Satanist or anyone with any sort of ego would want to go solo, but <laughs> I, uh, for, for a very long time, it was just definitely an aspiration. I felt like I wanted to break away from the band dichotomy and the whole um, democracy that is a band to more of a totalitarian <laughs> situation <laughs> where I'm on top, you know? Um, so, uh, let's see. A while back, I started a band called The Casting Out, which was supposed to be my first foray into doing solo work. Okay. Uh, I started it just writing the songs, you know, all this stuff, and then I honestly chickened out and got a band. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, past that, I kept going into that idea, and then with I Am Heresy, uh, there's a lot of in-betweener parts with the big metal crazy noise uh and all those little in-betweener parts were sort of what i was going towards for a solo idea okay um and so once i'm heresy fell apart um i started thinking okay well I, I, it's time to bite the bullets i'm 42 years at the time i was 42 years old 43 now um and it's time to stop being a chicken shit the rest of your life you know um so I, I was thinking, how do I do this? Uh, because if I just get up there with an acoustic guitar by myself playing three chords, all the songs are going to sound the same and it's going to be a disaster. Um, <laughs> also, there, I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm sure you, you know a good bit about hardcore and punk, but a lot of solo artists that come out of that genre uh -huh. end, up, end up going fake country. And it's it's so weird to watch. Like, I can understand like Tim Barry from Avail, Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music. Those uh -huh. two guys are probably the only ones who are actually like Southern fucking country dudes that deserve to do what they're doing. Uh, but then there's all these other like fake hayseed. Like, yeah, I'm playing country now. You're from fucking New York. Cut it out. You know? So. And I think it's just because uh, a lot of, like, punk hardcore singers, we don't really know how to play guitar. So we right. play a couple, like, three chords that go along with the vocal melody we're doing, and it just ends up sounding sort of punk, uh, folkish or countryish. Right. Um, so as I was doing that, I was like, all right, I don't want to be another number. I don't want to be another one of these Yankees pretending to be a hayseed. Um, so how, how do I do this? And it came to me that um, my friend Daniel, that who you guys met the other day, right. um, he, he's always been big in the industrial scene. He was like, you know how you always have like a group of friends and there's always that odd man out? Right. Like in our hardcore group of friends, he was the weird industrial kid that just happened to like a few hardcore bands. Okay. You know, and we just liked him. So, you know, whatever. So... Uh, I was thinking about uh, bands like Death in June, um, Current 93, bands like that who had come out of the industrial scene and had gotten into this more dark folk sort of thing. And 
I was like, okay, well, this makes sense then. I get this guy who um, obviously is well-versed in the industrial scene and see what he can do with these more folky sort of songs. And the rest is history for the most part. <laughs> it just it just clicked. Like, we got together and it was like, oh, fuck, yes, this is what I was trying to do. Okay, perfect. Because before, like I said with I Am Heresy, I was only able to come up with sort of segments and little snippets of it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really actualize it all and so it ended up that i just needed needed a little hand in the situation and you can hear the industrial influence without being able to pigeonhole it into the industrial genre it's right yeah i didn't want to beat people over the head with it i want it to be something new and original and um you know obviously there's nothing overly original under the sun i mean everything's got its uh, influences and whatnot, but to these days to be able to blend an influence to where someone can say, I can see the influences, but this is a very original take on that mm-hmm. is sort of the best you can do towards originality these days. <laughs> and, I, and I remember my, my, my first exposure to your solo material was that show at Otto's where you shot the video for Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I was blown away. Awesome. It was... It, it's, it's so rare, especially I, I've noticed as I get older, that I have that holy shit moment when, oh, yeah. when listening to new music. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, you know, a lot of times I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is good. And, like, oh, and most yeah. of the time it's like, oh, God, this is shit. Um, right. <laughs> I was legitimately floored. That's awesome. Um, and I, I haven't experienced that in a long time. And, and I've mm-hmm. just was absolutely blown away. So kudos to you, sir, for, for helping, helping me to become a 16 year old fanboy again. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. That's, and that's what I'm shooting for. You know, I'm shooting to, <laughs> to really impress the socks off of people. Cause what's the point otherwise, you know, uh, there's no point to shooting for the middle. Right. So not only in the music, but also in the, I hope for the stage atmosphere to sort of step up and up and up as we go. And um, so far, so good. It's been a lot of fun. Right. Um, the new material is awfully introspective and personal versus, yeah. you know, the, the, the political band of Boys Sets Fire. Yes. Um, is that, I'm, I'm assuming that's by design. Yes, absolutely is. Um, there are a lot of things within Boys Sets Fire. And even if, uh, I mean, Boys Sets Fire actually has a new record coming up, coming out soon. But uh, even if you listen to some of the later Boys Sets Fire, it's gotten a bit more personal than political while sometimes blending in some of that stuff. Um, besides the fact that when you get a little older, you're you're not really as pissed off as you used to be, or at least <laughs> not at the same shit. Right. You know, like... Yeah. When you're when you're 19 and you're like the government's bad, man, like it's it's okay. But if you're in your 30s or 40s, you sound like a jackass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just better to sort of put that kind of attitude away and just realize that a lot of what we would call <clears throat> revolutionary action begins with the individual and begins with that individual changing their their environment and the world directly around them. Um, so that's what I've, I've tried to more focus on and, and in not so much of a biased and zealous way, I guess, because obviously coming up, I mean, you're going to obviously know this, but some others may not voice that's fire. Very, very, very to a fault 
leftist liberal like sort of philosophy um, that once again when you're 19 being a communist is sort of expected right <laughs> when you grow up a little bit and you realize what certain ideologies and economical ideologies I guess how they actually work in the real world once you get past a certain age, it's time to throw that childish shit away. Right. You know? It flipped, so, and, it flipped and for me. Uh, it flipped yeah, for yeah. me when I bought property. Is right, when, right. Is really exactly. when it happened. Exactly. When I, when I bought a house, <laughs> right. suddenly that, that era of my life ended very, yes. very and abruptly. Real quick at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and uh, a lot of that ended also with, um, I've always worked in um, areas of like helping people get jobs and things like that. Like at the moment, I'm an employment specialist working with veterans and also just people who are sort of down on their luck and don't interview well right. or are disabled. Um, and before that, I was working with people um, with mental disabilities and um, working in those departments. Uh, you do tend to have a lot of idealists, but some of us who are a little more smart and attuned to how the world works, it'll really bitter you up real good. Yeah. <laughs> With people who just don't want to fucking work and just want to suck off the tea to the government, you know, and off the taxpayer. And you get to that point where you're like, okay, I, I've been going about this a little wrong. You yeah. know? <laughs> you see, you're seeing that now with. Um, out in Seattle where they voted to make the minimum wage $15 an hour, you you now are hearing stories of workers asking to have their hours cut so they can right. stay on public assistance. Because it fucks up their assistance. Exactly. It's amazing. It's like, all right, well, sorry to help you out with that one. Our bad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to help you with that leg up. Uh, um, anyway, as I was saying, um, the um, going into the solo stuff, Going into the solo stuff, it's um, more of a situation of um, uh, how do I put it? I get well. I mean, I guess it's easily put for this because we're talking about sat Satanism today. Um, is that um, I wanted to combine sort of my take on my belief system into what I was doing. And in a lot of ways, um, I guess the whole aspect of greater and lesser magic, uh, because being a musician, those two things mix very often. Okay. Um, you, you know, not only is what you're doing a ritual of sorts, well, it's, it's not even of sorts, it's a ritual. You get up there and you're purging things out of your life. You're... Or, or you're learning how to deal with them. A lot of musicians, we are completely fucked in the head. Just, we all have problems. That's why we're artists, you know? Um, so you get up there and you, you purge all that out so that you can be a normal human being in your normal life. Right. And, and that connected with me a lot with reading about Satanism and going, oh, I do that, but just not in a room upstairs. I travel with my ritual chamber. Um, and you're not the first. So, you're not the first satanic musician I've heard say that. That's right, so that, right. that is I, very I, common amongst musicians who identify as satanists. Very common, like connection. You know what I mean? For people who 
truly <laughs> not just the whoa I want to sing about devils and dragons type of shit but like people who really get the philosophy seeing it reflected in what they were already doing right. um, so uh, but, but take into account also with that that a lot of what you do as a musician is lesser magic you're convincing people to pay you to sing in front of them you know exactly it's yeah. you're, you're, so, you, you're getting paid I to mean, perform which is awesome yeah so yeah you have to get up there and convince people that they should be paying you for what you do <laughs> which is not always easy <laughs> this is true yeah as everyone knows but, um, but anyway uh, getting into the solo thing and into this more sort of personal realm it made sense because that's sort of what ritualizing is about it's a very more personal take on how to affect your surroundings now when did you first uh encounter satanism versus and when did you first join the church it was when i first encountered it was when i was very young and going to church my dad's a pastor he's a presbyterian minister Hmm. and um it was going to church and going to sunday school and let me think because when i was when I was going, I mean, any everywhere up until I was about 16, I was going to church a lot with my parents. And there was like Sunday school, night church, day church, 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 all the goddamn time. So um, <laughs> a lot of that, as most people know, uh, dealt with indoctrinating the youth. <laughs> so there were a lot of children's meetings and Sunday school and things like that in which they would show movies and as most of us remember in the 80s and 90s the satanic panic was a big thing for churches right um so they were constantly pushing that down our throats that we had to be afraid of Satan we had to be afraid of Anton LaVey we had to be afraid of the church of Satan we had to be afraid that at any moment a van of cloaked Satanists were going to grab us and rape us and cut us up into little pieces for a sacrifice so um, that is what they tried to they tried to scare the shit out of us basically or I guess a better term would be tried to scare the hell out of us (laughs) Um, so and it worked. It worked to an extent until, and this was the best part about it, is it worked on me, like with all these stories of rock music causing possession, uh, demons coming into kids' rooms and hurting them because they were listening to rock music. All of that worked until they started showing films that had Anton LaVey in it. It's very hard to listen to Anton LaVey or to, you know without them just focusing on the wild like rituals and not go that guy has a point exactly you know um and that's what's sort of beautiful about those situations is that they would push this like these scary pictures of him with devil horns and you know women on altars and stuff like that but they didn't realize that some of us were then going to go investigate what they had just shown us and find out the truth on the situation and that really and is where I, uh, it, it all falls apart for for Christianity. Is, is you know, if they if you don't take them at their word and you actually look into what they're saying, the story quickly falls apart. Oh, it screws a lot of shit up for them. Yeah, yeah. And it and and that's when I found this, and I was like, wow, this is great. So after that, I couldn't stop 
like eating up everything I saw with Anton LaVey on it. Uh, and anything about the Church of Satan, I just kept reading and reading and reading, uh, read the Satanic Bible, you know, and, and even, <laughs> I, I've joked about this a couple of times, but um, he even wildly changed my opinion on salad dressings. <laughs> there was this interview. Excellent. It, was it in Rolling Stone, I think? It was, it did this interview and like, there was something the interviewer was talking about how uh, he and Blanche were like um, judging him because he got uh, blue cheese salad dressing or something. <laughs> And that it, it smelled like balls or something. And I, from there on, I was like, well, I can't eat that anymore. I guess I have to eat French dressing because that's what Anton LaVey says is okay to eat. Because like, I'm a kid and I think that makes sense. You know? So it completely destroyed me for a while on salad dressings. But only recently have I been able to get into ranch and, th- and blue cheese. Um, anyway, that was dumb. <laughs> um the uh as i was saying like um it then took me a while from there though to really be able to accept who i was um because i was reading all this stuff and i was like that's exactly what i think this is great but satan ah you know i i don't know i've been told that that guy is bad and he's gonna come get me and god's not gonna protect me if i I hope he's not seeing me do this right now, you know, type of shit. Um, so it wasn't until, to be completely honest with you, late 20s, early 30s, when shit started falling apart in that development. Like, I, I um, was still calling myself a Christian, mm-hmm. and um, I started, what actually started happening was I started reading... Um, Christopher Hitchens and atheist writers and it all started sort of falling apart at that point because I could no longer accept the the bullshit and I kept I guess as a lot of people do my my ideology in Christianity kept getting more liberal and more liberal with my understanding of it until it finally just fell off Um, because there's only so much you can go oh that's not what God meant he didn't he doesn't hate gay people and then you go back to the Bible and go, actually, he, if you believe this book, he, he does. So a lot of the Bible-beating <laughs> assholes are actually the honest ones. Yeah. You know, so if you're a more liberal Christian, you're lying to yourself. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the Bible-beaters and the assholes that actually have it right. So you might as well just skip town on this one. Stop it. Um, so anyway, uh, as that fell apart... Um, I was trying to find myself because, as I think I've said before, um, I, I, I started defining myself by what I wasn't. Uh, as a lot of atheists do, we, you know, we go, okay, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. And we get very militant with what we're not. Yeah. And I was like, but what am I? Like, what do I believe? Because this is getting boring and somewhat masochistic and self-psychologically uh, harmful me to define myself by what I'm not. So uh, I started looking into humanism and things like that, and it was like, oh, what is this hippie bullshit? It sounds like Christianity without God. <laughs> I hate it. Like, it's just, it's so weak and silly. Um, and it was at that moment I went, wait a minute. I remember hearing about something and studying into something that was very interesting to me. And now that I don't have this fear about the word, I'm going to check back into it. 
And when I did, it was like, there it is. This is what I've been looking for. Uh, it was what I was looking for when I was a kid. It's what I'm looking for now. And I'm finally able to accept it now. And that's when I started really, you know, getting, uh, getting, uh, I rebought the Satanic Bible, rebought a, a bunch of books by LaVey. And then I, started, I bought uh, Peter Gilmore's book, Satanic Scriptures. And um, before reading it, I was like, I'm going to, you know, look around online. And as I was looking around online, I, I found interviews with Peter Gilmore. And um, it, it really just made even more sense at that point. It was like, this guy's so on point. I can't, like anybody that's seen uh, an interview with uh, Peter Gilmore knows that it's it's an experience. <laughs> it's uh, yes. he's just he's a brilliant guy. He's he's fun to watch. He's pleasant. It's just you know, uh, and it's just it's it's always a cool experience. So that led me to the Satanic Scriptures, and from there. I mean, that, that was just it. I, I got online, started, you know, getting into the message boards, uh, sent away for my red card, and it just kept going from there. And that was, and you were in your, your early 30s at that point. That was, actually at that point was, man, it's only been a few years that I've had my red card. I would have to ask. I actually, I don't remember to tell you the truth. So it's, it's, I, it, it was actually late thirties when I actually applied because even after I got into, um, the ideology and was considering myself a Satanist, I still didn't feel like it was yet time to go the distance with it. And it wasn't until I did a lot more studying and I'm glad I did because once I got into it, and talking to other people who are Satanists, it was like, okay, I did it the right way. It just confirmed it I, for you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't jump in head first and just act like a fool. I made sure I knew what the fuck I was talking about before I even went anywhere near it, you know? So I, I was very cautious with my approach and made sure that I uh, studied up before just jumping in. Right. Now you've only um, you've only been really public with your affiliation you know, very very recently. Um, yes. Now, I've, I've always I've always seen that there's, there's usually three types of people that that really come out and and, and announce their affiliation. There's identity seekers and mm -hmm. you know, fuck them. Um, yeah. People like you know for for lack of a of an example off the top of my head myself who affiliated young. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, just made my presence known and said, okay, I'm going to go do something great and I'll just keep in touch with you guys. And then there's right. folks like yourself who had all of these accomplishments coming in and then said, oh, by the way, I accomplished all this by applying the principles of the philosophy. Um, right. and, uh, not really sure where I'm going with that. Um, well, I mean, I can, I can run with that if you like. Sure. I, I can run with anything. I've had a lot of coffee and I love talking about myself. It truly was, it was, it was a situation and still now, you know, as we were talking about with obtaining uh, the warlock title and things like that, um, it's, it's a, it's, how do I put it? Um, 
the reason, number one, the reason why I'm so outspoken about it is because I really don't know another way to be. I've just always been that way right. with any, any thought pattern or ideology. I like to be very open and honest with who I am. Uh, and that's not to say that other people, you know, obviously other people like to hide it a little and good for them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that's who they are and that's honest and that's great. Uh, if I were to hide who I was, I would be very dishonest with it. So I'm, I'm a very outspoken person with my feelings and ideology. Yeah. Um, but you definitely get, and especially in music, the thing, the problem is, is that Satanism in music is boring and stupid. Like, True. It's, it's just, it's so goofy and fucking, you, you don't have a lot of people who are really standing for the tenets and the ideology involved in Satanism. You have a bunch of people that want to use the symbolism. They want to freak people out and or make money off of the idea that they may or may not worship the devil, you know? Um, but they don't want to actually stand for the rugged individualism and the actual tenets. Right. of what it means to be a Satanism, a Satanist. And that's where I come in with this because I want to put forth the reality. Um, and I think it's something that, honestly, our organization needs. It, um, for, for a musician especially to come out and be like, yeah, I'm not singing about fucking goblins and Satan. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm coming out and I'm singing about what's what this is actually about and the very personal emotional and individualist thought and person that it takes to be involved in this organization so that's where I find my place and I feel that it's important for me to let I guess the outside world know what we're really about now coming coming out of out of hardcore uh there are there are a lot of commonalities and a lot of uh, dissonance within you know, between the hardcore philosophy and Satanism. Obviously, commonalities would be you know espousing personal responsibility, uh, a loathing of victim mentality, um, right. and then of course you know you got the opposite side of the coin. You know, you know shouting at the government, um, right. you know, which is a, just a big you know, yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just which which almost flies in the face of, of other of other lyric you know, you know lyrical work within that genre that espouses personal responsibility. You can't have it both right. ways. Right. Um, <laughs> um, did you feel before even identifying um, with the philosophy, or, or maybe as you went through your research, did you did you start? No, were you veering more towards the commonalities, or wait, or or were you noticing more of the dissonance between? yourself and your contemporaries? Um, I, I, I definitely noticed a very strong dissonance to an extent, um, although there were other people that I know and have known within the scene that were very outspoken Satanists uh, at the time. There was a band called Indecision, uh, and there's a guy named Artie who sang for that band, and he was very outspoken at the time. Still friends with him, don't know where he stands with it now, but doesn't matter. Um, uh, but they were at that time very outspoken and very um, like this is 
you know, they would put up the statements and things like that. Like, it wasn't just like, ooh, we're spooky. Um, and then there were definitely other bands that sort of did it, and you didn't know whether they were this or that. But um, other than that, <laughs> it was very hard to find people who were not either, especially during my time, um, either into that really weird, like Krishna consciousness thing that started going on in the hardcore scene yeah. that I never really understood or, or part of this really like, oh, idealistic, zealous left wing, like just to a fault, fucking crazy shit. Like where, like everything was so like. Uh, you didn't feel like you could do anything without somebody going, you're oppressive. I mean, you see it today, too. Yeah. But that, I really feel like a lot of that shit started in, like, the hardcore scene. There were all these idealist fucking assholes that, like, you couldn't eat yogurt without someone telling you you raped a cow. Like, it was just like, <laughs> fuck, get off my back. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I can't watch the company that made my T-shirts every fucking five seconds. All right. I got shit to do. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, you know, it was just a battle all the fucking time. And I, I, I feel like that's actually also what drew me to where I was, was a rebellion away from that mentality and that constant like herd mentality of everything's wrong except for me and you're bad and everybody's bad and you're an oppressor and you're this that and the oh my god and whatever fucking goofy political prisoner we're screaming about that we don't actually care about this week um it just ugh. so um so you know yeah there was a lot of me and even back in the old days if funny enough Back in the old days, Boy Such Fire was actually not liberal enough for some of these people. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, we would do these, like, festivals that were, like, so holistic and blah, blah, blah. And there were workshops on anarchy and whatever the fuck. And, um, and we, were we would come in and we would get in arguments with these people. And we were, for a very long time, referred to as the rednecks of emo <laughs> we weren't we weren't straight edge we weren't um i guess left enough we weren't we didn't think that everyone should be put down for every little fucking thing they do uh we did not think that women in general were just always objectified and always right no matter what they do um so it just you know I guess it helped, <laughs> like, sort of veer away from that sort of ridiculous little whatever that was. Um, so now your solo EP um, is being re-released um, through a new record label. Yes. Um, are there going, is it going to be the, the same original four tracks, or is it going, there going to be new music on there as well? It is going to be the four. Well, number one, it's sort of a cool situation with this album. I, um, we're, I'm putting it out in Europe through Boyce That's Fire's label called End Hits. We actually own that label in Europe. And um, it's going out through that. But then in the U.S., it's going through a label called Good Fight Records, which used to be Ferret Records, I believe, in, if, you know, for any hardcore kids out there. Um, but <clears throat> it's been cool working with not only... Uh, a label that's owned by my other band, but also working with Good Fight, who is honestly the first label I've dealt with 
that really get what I'm doing. Um, they're a U.S. label, New York, New Jersey label. And if you get the chance, listen, it's a lot of like hardcore metal, like real dark shit. But, um, but it's sort of cool that they took me on uh, being none of that stuff. Right. And it was the first label that really sort of got what I was doing. They're not using the Satanism thing as a gimmick, but they're very proud to have me on the label and to be able to say, oh, he's a Satanist. He's with the Church of Satan. That's cool with us, you know what I mean, type of thing. So it's been a very cool, like, dichotomy with them. Um, anyway, um, on this album, it'll be the four songs from the EP that I self-released, uh, plus a new song called Wayward Ghost that I put out a video for, and also a Daniel did this awesome fucking dark industrial dance remix of Wolves that nice. I can't wait for people to hear. Um, and then the song Tomorrow and Baptismal Rites we did acoustically and called them the uh, Ritual Chamber Sessions. And we're actually going to take those two acoustic songs and we're going to do videos of them, like stripped down videos in, like create an actual ritual chamber and play the songs in there, um, you know, for the aesthetic and the fun of it. But I think it was just, it would be a cool idea. Wow. So those are, those are the songs. So you've got like three remixes basically, and then a new song plus the four original. That's very awesome. Um, let's talk for a minute um, about something else you've been working on. Uh-huh. Uh, and something that I, that very much tickled me when I first saw it, and then once I got to know a little bit more about it, I, I'm very impressed with it. Um, right. The Shoot Your Local Heroin Dealer T-shirt project. Yes, <laughs> that has been a fun one. The um, the the impetus behind it, it it's funny. Um, so for for a very long time, uh, many many years actually. Uh, and this, this part's not as funny, I guess, but, um, my son, uh, I have two sons, uh, my son, Simon, who's 21, uh, has been struggling with heroin addiction for many, many years. And it has been a horrible drain, obviously on him, but also on our family. Uh, it's been incredibly stressful and I, I don't think anyone, it, there's no way to really, um, put forth how destructive it is and how horrible it is unless you go through it, especially for many years, to the point where uh, you honestly get to the point where dry-eyed you can say, alright, I'm just going to find him dead one day and that's it. Um, and that's a really hard point to get to uh, when you realize that you've just said that and it didn't make you break down in tears. It's just a reality. Um, so, in that, um, in being, you know, a Satanist and believing in certain ritual and things to help, you know, obviously, I'm not going to cure drug addiction. I'm not going to, probably not going to stop one fucking dealer. Um, but what I do know is that I can change my mental situation. I can change the environment around me. I can help empower myself and others who have been through this and are still going through it. And that's why this shirt came up. Um, and the idea was to make this shirt 
that's obviously a very bold statement. Um, and to use it in a, in a somewhat uh, empowering way for myself. As we know, um, things like philanthropy and things like that are actually quite selfish uh, actions. Yes. Uh, now, they do obviously help other people, but they mostly help your own emotional state. And that's what's so great about it. You yeah. know what I mean? It, um, it's, it's one of those awesome things that the person you're helping out can give a shit why you're doing it. You're just helping them out. And for you, it makes you feel better about yourself. And it empowers you to be able to move on past some certain things. Um, so, uh, with this shirt, I, I, every once in a while I'll bring it out. I, I don't do it all the time. But every once in a while I'll bring it out on Facebook and be like, hey, I'm going to do another run of this shirt. And what I do is at the end of that run, uh, when the shirts go out and I get the money, whatever cash that I get from that, I put it in an envelope and I find, I, I usually find someone who's been affected by, uh, and, and I try to make sure I find a responsible human being that's been affected. Right. Uh, someone who, the, the first person I gave this out to was someone whose son had been shot by a drug dealer and killed. Uh, and the other one was just for a really wonderful woman who um, lost her son um, to an overdose. And what I do is I don't announce it to them. I don't say anything about it. I just somehow get the envelope envelope to them with a, a thing that just says, have a great day. I don't tell them why they're getting it, anything like that, because there is a... I think there's definitely a line to cross when you when you sort of go, hey, this is because of this, and look how cool I am. You know? Right, right, right. Um, there's definitely a line there. So what I try to do is just it's it's more about making myself feel better and making them just have a good day. You know, <laughs> just just one day, just go, holy fuck, somebody just did something really cool for me. That'll make me smile for the rest of the day. Awesome. You know, Cause, so and that's the whole purpose behind it and, and, and what I'm doing. Yeah, and who doesn't appreciate an envelope full of cash? Right. Yeah. Who the fuck? Yeah. Who picks that up and goes, oh, fuck that, and throws it in the trash? You know? <laughs> so. um, now, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the, the fact that, you know, philanthropy um, <laughs> within the construct of Satanism is is, of course, designed to make you feel better. Absolutely. And there and there there is an honesty to that that mm -hmm. that you see that you don't see in other right. forms of philanthropy. Now mm -hmm. you you hear you you'll sometimes hear from from other Satanists um, uh, you know, the the notion that you know the being philanthropic is is an attempt to wear a good guy badge. Um, right. And I don't think that's the case. I don't because mm -hmm. there's because there is motive to your altruism and it's a selfish motive and yeah. you're acknowledging that and embracing it and saying, Hey, no, this is for me. The fact that it's helping somebody else is almost incidental. Right. Um, and, and, and who, who hates that? I, I don't know of anyone that's been helped by another human being that went, I don't know if I want to accept that help. They were being selfish about it. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, you know, if someone's helping you out, you're just glad someone's giving you a hand, uh, a hand to hold, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and in that, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the point is the line's drawn at honesty. Are you being honest with what you're doing? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if, if you're not, then yes, all you're doing is polishing and shining up your good guy badge and going, hey, world, check me out. I'm awesome. But if you're like, hey, check me out. I'm awesome. But this is why I'm doing it. It is for me. It is to help me get past some really shitty situations right now. Um, and if that ends up helping people, awesome. If it helps no one, awesome. But this is what I got to do for me. And um, I think that's really where the line is, you know. And it, it, I think it makes sense to me is is honesty should always be the line, you know. Exactly. Um, all right. I think that's uh, how we're gonna. Think that's how we're gonna end. Uh, Nathan, Nathan um, where can people learn about Nathan Gray and his music? Uh, if you go to basically anything you look up, whether it's Facebook, uh, Twitter. Instagram, anything like that, you can find it under Nathan Gray Songs. Um, so anything, Facebook.com backslash Nathan Gray Songs, or if you're looking in Twitter or uh, Instagram. Also, if you go to NathanGraySongs.com, I have a website. Um, so any any of those spots, if you honestly, and I've, I've said this before, and I don't care how um, egocentric it sounds <laughs> or douchey it sounds to tell you the truth uh, if you just google my name you'll find me <laughs> <laughs> so fuck you <laughs> I I I have a giant problem with that because I have such a common name and I, I'll put shit right. out there and th- when I was doing stand-up comedy on a regular basis, there are four other comics named David Harris. You can't even find uh, me by searching David Harris comedy. <laughs> Maybe you should have like a specific like uh, catchphrase or some sort. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, I just made a movie about how yes, douchey know, fucking catchphrases yeah. are. <laughs> that is exactly what I said. It. Yes. <laughs> yeah, being witty. <laughs> Nathan Gray, thank you very much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank best you so much. And, and continued success and hail Satan. Thank you. Hail Satan. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us as always is the very first Old Nick chick, which Marilyn Mansfield, and her handsome man, managing editor, Warlock Zothamog. How are both of you today? We are very good, thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. Sweet. Well, it is another month, and I'm very, very excited to speak to you guys again. It's always we always have a really great back and forth, and that's always a lot of fun. But we also get a you know, get a little peep under that that old Nick tent. So the last time we were speaking, uh, we were talking about models and submitting photos and stuff, and I wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about that, about maybe expectations, maybe tailoring expectations, or, or uh, you know, uh, the dreams, what, what could happen or what would happen if, if all of the stars aligned, so to speak, uh, for some of these ladies. Um, so uh, maybe if we could uh, just jump on that for a second here. Marilyn, uh, well, I... I guess this is actually to both of you. Who, who is usually approached with talent more often than not? Is that one of you, or is it Bob, or I mean, how does that work? Um, I th- I think it would be um, 
probably you mean like on the internet or in person because in person it's usually me <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah and it's different I online would say, yeah here in, here in the city it's usually me people you know I don't know maybe I'm uh less intimidating to come over to or something I don't know <laughs> but on um in social media I would say it's through Facebook mm-hmm. you know yeah um, you would agree, I, right? I think Marilyn, I think. Marilyn has a very, very sexy look, you know. So uh, oh, I think yeah. girls, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I think uh, girls feel um, that they can ask you kind of like advice, kind of things, you know, like, hey, you know, where, how can I get into the magazine, kind of thing, you know. So I think in mm-hmm. that aspect, um, people approach Marilyn more so than they would me. But um, you know, but we've both been approached with with phones with their wife nude and you know <laughs> at, a, at a club you know they'll, 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 oh, they'll yeah, just yeah, come yeah. over and be like hey this is my wife and we're like oh okay um, <laughs> you know it's like a very explicit photo yeah <laughs> that's happened you know, more bed- than once <laughs> the bedroom mattress photo shoot and yeah like oh thanks for sharing uh <laughs> please Please email to info at oldnickmagazine.com. <laughs> Check out these ovaries. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Kidney shots. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Well, what do you think is the, the expectation for for a lot of the talent? And, of course, there's going to be variations on theme and, you know, everyone's a little bit different. But by and large, for for um, individuals that approach you to be uh, featured in Old Ink Magazine, what's the expectation? Is it just is it just that issue, that magazine? Is it is it they're hoping to launch a career in modeling? I mean, what do you think? You know, for, first off, I would just want to say that you know Zoth and me usually promote the magazine in clubs and stuff like that. And Bob isn't with us because I'm sure if Bob was with us, they would go straight to Bob. And you know, Bob is <laughs> Bob is a very you know uh, charismatic good looking fella so <laughs> but um you know I, I just want to make that clear yeah. <laughs> um what what are they hoping for um, yeah what do you think i mean i th- i think you know they want the exposure i think that it is um something that i mean for me it was something that you know i i felt extreme pride in um modeling for you know old mm-hmm. nick um, it's a great magazine, and um, I think I think they, you know, it's just the um, the exposure, and I would say the uh, the you know just being a part of it is to, to, to maybe like bragging rights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, I think a yeah. lot of the people who have approached us are fans of the magazine. Yes, and definitely. they just want to be a part of it. I guess their right. dream would be the cover girl, the centerfold, or whatever. Yeah to be called back to do another shoot but they just like look at the magazine and they're like oh wow this is so cool how can i be a part of this and Mm. i think that's you know that's usually where their kind of expectations are that they're hoping that they'll be accepted into the magazine just to be a part of it you know some of the girls have you know careers already in the adult industry some of them are just starting out and i think all of them equally just want to be a part of old nick magazine yeah plus it's like you know it's it's i mean it's the satanic erotic magazine you know mm. and it's, in my opinion this is the top if you want to go that that way you know so i think that you know it's it's just it's so alluring to a lot of women 
who are you know into that that kind of stuff that you know they just they just want to do it you know and it, it, even though you submit or whatever i mean i have i have gone up to girls and asked them do you model you know um do you do nudes you know things like that um if they say yes of course if they say no i'm that's it <laughs> yeah, like, um, who are you yeah. i just getting some milk uh do you ever get nude <laughs> <laughs> you know it's my but, opener uh, yeah but I mean, we've walked into clubs and like we're in there literally two minutes and we have sho- phones shoved in our face, you know, with with the wife standing there like, whoa, whoa. You know, the husband showing like pictures um, of like cell phone pictures they took at home to show. And I'm like, you know, you, it, OK, that's nice. But, you know, you have to um, send the pictures to, you know, Bob. That's he makes the decision. Mm-hmm. A little side note. Isn't it kind of weird that the phone has replaced a Polaroid? Yeah. No, I don't think it's weird, but it's just how it is. I was just thinking about that. Sorry, I just. (laughs) No, it's very, it's it's very uh, poignant for uh, the time because I mean, just the other day I was uh, the other day it was a couple months ago I was on a a video shoot and there's just a model there and we were talking about our kids. And, you know, just it naturally came up. Oh, you want to see a picture of my kids? She whips out her phone. She says, you know, can I see your kids? I guess because she wanted to make sure I wasn't lying about them. <laughs> it's like an <laughs> opener or something. And so I was like, yeah. So I pull out my wallet and I flip open a photo like in my wallet. And my buddy, who's the who is the cameraman there, he was like, what the hell are you doing with a photo in your wallet? What kind of a weird old man are you? Why isn't it on your phone? I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this is just how I, like, hey, I don't know. Z- Zoth still has the wallet photos too. Yeah, I have a of photo of my son in my wallet. Jeez, I guess I'm an old fogey too. <laughs> yeah, I don't get. I I really never even thought about it. I mean, she had her entire collection of family photos all on her phone, and I was just like, well, yeah. I I have a phone. I just never really thought about keeping everything on it. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> I was just thinking it, in my head how, like, you know, before, like, photo shoots, test shoots, they were done with, like, Polaroids, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like you do, like, a little test shoot, and then you send the Polaroid off to the, you know, to the uh, art director, and he'll look at it and be like, hmm, yeah, we can do something That's with this. That's how Playboy like, used to do their uh, Right, right. Their That's exactly scouting. what I was thinking about. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, like, the, the Anna Nicole stories or the, yeah. you know. The they, Polaroids, like, yeah. Sent the Polaroids in, and like now it's like they just shove a phone in your face, like, hey, look, 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 look. And I'm like, <laughs> nah, now they just find them on Instagram. That's all. <laughs> well, you know, you can't really do that, you know, our adult themed kind of photo shoots on Instagram. Yeah, yeah but I, I heard that Playboy does scout on on uh, social media. Oh, oh really? Well, well now, now, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking smart, back yeah. then, you know, because most photo developing places wouldn't develop nudes. That's why the Polaroid was the yeah. ideal choice. Because you could just one copy and that's it. Yeah, I used yeah. to have many Polaroids. I mean, um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shoebox here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I think I own a couple of those myself of you, Marilyn. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's in his to... wallet. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. I do yeah, think I it's mean, in- you know, but back to the original thing. I think yeah. that's yeah, what yeah, they yeah. want. Oh, it's just like- exciting. It's an exciting thing, you know, and you know, it's it's a it's a a good magazine to be featured in. So I think you know, a lot of and and I you know a lot of them some of them don't get accepted, 
Mm. Um, you know, um, so, I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, if you send in something, I mean, we spoke about this many times that, you know, the pictures or, you know, will be used. So, yeah. Have you ever I, run I into anyone? That... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't want to cut you off. I was going to say, have you ever run into anyone that, what that approached you you told them well, that, that's fantastic please submit it to uh, Bob and, and he'll make the final decisions uh, and then they weren't selected did they have have you ever sort of done that double return where they're like hey Bob didn't really like him but is there anything you can do um, um no. people have people <laughs> have asked me if I can get them in the magazine you know and I always say it's not up to me you know um if I feel they have potential, I will give Bob a heads up, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, but um, you know, no, also, I, but I don't know anyone who's got rejected and then like been like, oh, you know, um, it, people might have asked me afterwards, and I'm like, you know, um, it's not up to me. That's then that's the mm -hmm. truth. It's not yeah. up to me. You know, we just pass along the information. So but we can suggest just... people though too. You know. Mm -hmm. But just because they didn't make it into this particular issue right. doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be used in future issues. You know, right, a lot of right. times, you know, what we'll do is we'll have a, you know, a sort of model roster that we call upon, you know, for certain issues. You know, like mm -hmm. if we're going to make a, a themed issue, you know, whether it be, right. you know, a, a S&M kind of theme or a Halloween theme. So maybe mm -hmm. a girl's particular aesthetic or photo shoot didn't fit in with this issue but you know we might be going back to that photo shoot later and being like you know what'll work remember that chick and then you know that's when they get the call back so you know they shouldn't discourage somebody just because they weren't used right away that they're not going to be used at all right yeah. right you know you so gotta, it's 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 like anything with modeling you know i mean it's yeah, yeah you have to fit the uh the job you know <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I mean, it, it makes sense um have you noticed that uh i i, I don't know it, it, it's stiffer competition i mean how, how is the modeling or, or, or um talent pool nowadays it, is it getting uh more challenging to break into uh you know magazines like old nick or is it getting easier with just the you know the vastness of opportunities I, I think with the internet and the way things are today, um, it's, you know, easy to market yourself as anything today. Mm. Um, old Nick, though, yeah. as always, has its standards. And mm -hmm. no matter what's going on in the world, uh, you know, uh, the standard is going to, you know, remain at, at the same because that's what makes old Nick old Nick, you know. Yeah. And um you know, and there's other things that are, that are, you know, included in that. Like if you want to model for old Nick and, you know, you look great and Bob approves you, but you don't want to sign a release, that's not going to work. You know, I right. mean, with any uh, publication, if you're modeling for, you have to sign a release that's expected. I've signed so many releases in my life. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you cannot provide ID for 18, yes. then, you know, you're not going to get in. 
Right. Yeah, you have fine. to provide ID. I mean, everything is done, you know, on the up and up. Legit. Right. But, you know, also, you know, one thing I want to add is that, you know, Old Nick magazine, although it is a satanic magazine put out by Satanists for Satanists, um, the models featured are not necessarily, you know, your quote unquote, you know, goth type um, models. You know, there's a right. lot of room there for a lot of different kind of models, you know, whatever your particular aesthetic may be, you know, right. whether you're a rockabilly chick or you're a retro chick, whether you're a chick, uh, burlesque you know, a, dancer, a you know, a thick chick, a thin uh, chick, yeah. you know, dark skin, light skin, pale skin, whatever, you know, so long as the photos meet our standards, then they'll probably make their way into the magazine in one of the issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. great. That's absolutely great. Well, how about we tell the people how they can grab an issue? All right. Um, of course, for old things, old Nick, go to oldnickmagazine.com. Um, there we have all our links to our social media. You know, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find Marilyn Mansfield on Twitter, right? What's your Twitter again? At old Nick Chick. Yep, and we're on Google <laughs> Plus and Elo and Pinterest, and you can get our magazines on MagCloud.com and SkinMags.com. You can check out our Triple X uh, live camera feed on TripleXCamsForYou.com. Don't forget to check out our store on Cafe Press. Blah blah blah. We're all over the internet. <laughs> Just go to OldNickCamps.com. And if models want to submit, that email again is info at OldNickMagazine.com. Also, it's the same email if you want to advertise in the magazine. Info at oldnickmagazine.com. Yes, we always have great advertising rates going on and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So it's a great place to advertise um, whatever it is you do, your business, whatever. And volume five, number one, the special Summer of Sin issue is still available. So go check it out. Again, that's uh, magcloud.com and uh, skinmags.com. Yeah, well, that's a great issue, and uh, it is always great speaking with you both. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank oh, you thank for you. having us again, Adam. Yeah, thank you. We love being on the show. Well, until next month, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right, people, that's going to do it for yet another show. We do hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. I've been getting an influx of 9cents letter requests lately. If I don't get to your particular email, uh, have patience. We will address it. Um, and, and I don't want to discourage other people from submitting them, but quite honestly, there is a bit of a backlog and it will take a little bit. Uh, you can download the shows Mondays via RSS feed. We're active on social media, wherever you're active. Chances are we have a presence there. Reach out to us. You can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you find us. However, uh, do us a solid Give us a rating, and if you're feeling frenzy, if you're feeling funny about it, give us a goddamn comment, too. Let us know what you think. Good or bad, 
It's always great. And remember, the only way we're going to continue doing this is via your interaction. We're not getting paid. We literally get nothing for this. The least you could do is spread the word. And that's how we're going to continue do so. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Dan our dad. I would never trade our weeks together, Aden. I truly, truly love talking to you. It's great. This is why your wife doesn't like me. She's, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. No comment. Until next week, people. Hail Satan! Hail Satan.